Stop it! Don't open that door! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. I'm Scott, otherwise known on the internet as the video game collectaholic, and with me as always is fellow game aficionado and Cartridge Club member Caleb J. Ross. Can you believe it's Labor Day already, Caleb? Where does the summer go? Uh, it goes uh, the way of the, the moon and like the rotation of the earth, or I think something has something to do with it, I think. The eclipse comes and takes summer mm-hmm. away? Yep, steals our secrets, and then once our secrets are stolen, we no longer are able to covet the warm weather of the summer, and it's it's crazy. <laughs> it sounds very I druidic. Think that's how it works. I, I read a book somewhere, and it mentioned something about that. The Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica, we used to subscribe to them. We, you know, we'd get a door-to-door salesman, buy encyclopedias. It was a big deal. You're just a kid sitting on the floor, hanging out with your encyclopedia. If only we were wealthy enough to a Florida four. <laughs> a Florida four. <laughs> You know, a floor to floor. <laughs> floor to floor, wall to wall, encyclopedias <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> uh, this is getting off to a great start. Uh, all of those people, all of the kind, kind, kind people out there who have supported us and told us how great our first two episodes are, uh, we're sorry to disappoint you. Um, episode three is where it really goes downhill. <laughs> <laughs> we can only sustain anything worthwhile for so long <laughs> that's right we had a good run you know let's let's yep. dust our hands call it quits two and done we're and we're <laughs> out switching tones a little bit here i think before we get started um i'd like to give our our best wishes to all of our friends down in the gulf coast i know we've got quite a few cartridge club members down in that area and my grandparents actually would spend most of their winters while I was growing up down in Rockport, Texas, which is just up the coast from Corpus Christi. And they got hammered extremely hard uh, Friday night. So obviously our thoughts and best wishes with everybody down there in Texas, Louisiana, and, and the whole coast region. Anybody listening, if you feel like helping out, donating, uh, great organizations, AmeriCares, Red Cross, and J.J. Uh, Watt, one of my fellow Wisconsin alumni, set up a a crowdfunding uh, donation to at youcaring.com slash JJ Watt. And that's all done through his nonprofit organization, the Justin J. Watt Foundation. Any, every little bit helps for folks who are putting their lives back together. Is that you caring as in Y-O-U or the letter U? It's Y-O-U-Caring.com. Perfect. I'm, I'm too accustomed to uh, social media shortening of everything. So <laughs> I had to make sure there. I think, uh, we can get into here our our playlists and what we're playing now yeah absolutely what uh, what have you got going on caleb uh so i uh recently completed the what i will call the primary endings of near automata uh frequent listeners of our two episodes will know that i've talked a bit about uh, near automata in the past and i've raved and and it's been amazing i haven't yet put out a video uh post-game smoke review yet um which kind of goes counter to my intention of always trying to make those reviews as soon as possible after playing the game um but i still plan on putting out something about the game because it's so 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 great so i I finished playing the primary endings of that um that being endings a b and c and in my case a b and d c and d are sort of interchangeable in in terms of which one you choose to officially quote unquote beat the game 
Uh, so I finished those, uh, and, and it's really, really, really fun. I would, in fact, spend quite a bit more time with it if it wasn't for my growing backlog. And I was really intrigued by this game, Jotun, which I've talked about in the previous episode. Um, however, I, I started playing that after Nier Automata, and it's not really doing it for me. Um, it looks nice, sure, but it's it's not uh, a very engaging game. Um, and I, I might give up on that game, unfortunately. I had a lot of hopes for that game. I was really excited about it. It seemed like it ticked all the boxes of types of games I would like. It's an indie sort of style. It's very uh, stylistic visually. Is it a platformer? It's really not a platformer at all. It's, a, it's an overhead game from the perspective of whatever you would call like a old school Legend of Zelda kind of game, I guess, sort of a not directly overhead. It's, it's kind of like a three quarters or isometric viewpoint. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, it's that, but it's also very, uh, very rudimentary in terms of its control, in terms of its, its, its purpose. It, it, there's no, there's, it's not doing anything unique other than its visuals and its visuals get tiring pretty quickly, unfortunately. So little bit let down by that one. Um, so, in fact, I may actually end up going back to Dear Thomas. I'm playing a few more endings of that, to be totally honest, even though I do have a, a, a growing backlog. Um, but there are quite a few games on my backlog that I'd like to play. I also spent a good amount of time yesterday, uh, last night specifically, as I was supposed to be going to sleep, uh, revisiting the PlayStation Store. I, I haven't been a PS uh, Plus member for a few months now, and so I don't really care too much about it. But I went back to it today, uh, yesterday, not subscribing to it, but just went back to it and looked at all the free demos that were available. And there were a lot of really, really good free demos that I didn't realize were there. I don't know if they've been added recently. I don't know, but there's a lot of great demos. So I plan on maybe this, this weekend, this long holiday weekend. Uh, well, I just gave away when we record this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> this past weekend, uh, as you're listening to this on Monday, uh, I may have gone through that weekend and played a bunch of demos uh, and maybe did some videos of those. I don't do Let's Plays on my channel, uh, my Burning Books channel. Um, the username is Caleb J. Ross. I don't do many uh, Let's Plays on that. The only Let's Plays I do uh, from from my previous Let's Play, Let's Play moving forward is really only on demos. Um, that's sort of my thing. I'm not really going to do a full Let's Play just on demos. So I may do that this weekend. Who knows? So this this sort of goes along with your your refrain from purchasing games. You're just going hopping from demo to demo to demo. Well, and for and for newer uh, listeners um, who maybe don't have the full context of that refraining from purchasing games. It's sort of a cheat in the way that I frame that because yes, I'm not purchasing new games, but there are plenty of caveats that keep me in a in a Scrooge McDuckian wealth of of existing games that I can swim through. That being uh, pre-ordered games, games that I've already had pre-ordered, which I think there's about four of those coming up this year. So already I have four games that I know I'm going to be getting this year, and then all of the limited run games as well, which based on how many of those have been released recently means that I'm still on average every month probably going to be getting, you know, two or three games a month, which is an insanely huge number of games for someone like me who I'm not a collector. For those of you new to the podcast, I'm not the collector. Scott's definitely the collector. So I, I really try to play every single game I get. And, you know, so I'm, I'm still going to be just fine. Uh, so don't let that hiatus uh, let you think differently. Well, that's good. I was I was getting worried. I was <laughs> I was worried that your your backlog wouldn't continue to grow. Oh, it definitely will. It definitely <laughs> will. Uh, what about you? What what have you been playing? I've been playing uh, Transformers Devastation on the PlayStation Four and having quite a bit of fun with it. It's sort of a it's it's really like playing an episode of Transformers, gorgeous um, sort of cell shaded style artwork. Feels like a 
like a throwback to the original generation one in 1980s transformers um, they even have most of the original voice actors back doing the the characters so you've got optimus prime and megatron and starscream all sounding you know um all nostalgic like like i remembered the plot not to give anything away but just in general uh surrounds it sort of uh, revolves around the insecticons taking over new york city and the autobots of course are trying to dodge decepticon attacks while overall fighting against the insecticons having a great great fun with that um was a transformers fan as a kid um nothing nothing like ac decepticon um yeah he's of course uh host of the transformers and beer podcast as well as fellow cartridge club member so um, nothing on that level but i do enjoy a bit of transformers nostalgia every now and then as as far as gameplay goes i would say it's sort of 3d beat-em-up-ish you can choose between several different Autobots characters and swap in and out and can beat the game then with multiple different characters and, and get multiple different uh, you know, a, a trophies that way. Um, and I'm kind of a trophy addict as well, so I may <laughs> play this one several times through. And I finally caved and guzzled the Caleb J. Ross Kool-Aid. <laughs> Caleb, for the for new listeners, has been singing the praises of Nair Automata throughout the past two episodes of Masters of Unlocking, and he recently posted a video on his YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Caleb J. Ross, debating whether it was a better game than Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, I had a ton of fun with Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's definitely neck and neck with Horizon Zero Dawn for my game of the year, uh, so I figured Nier Automata was something that needed to jump to the top of my list. Now, I had purchased Nier Automata back when it launched, um, but the version that I had pre-ordered was the Black Box Edition, which was the collector's edition of the game that was exclusively available through Square Enix's website. Um, the Black Box Edition includes a steelbook case, a statue of one of the main protagonists from the game, the Android 2B, and uh, a hardcover art book, a thirteen and a thirteen-track soundtrack, all packaged together in a really nice collector's display box. Since I hadn't gotten around to actually playing the game yet, my black box edition is still sealed, and it turns out that it ended up being pretty rare. So I'm going to actually keep that sealed. And last week I ordered a standard copy, uh, standard edition copy of the game to have as a play copy because uh, it was on sale at Best Buy for right around thirty bucks here in the U.S. And so, given Caleb's effusive praise here over the last month or so, um, it's really jumped to the top of my list, and I plan on diving into it uh, this weekend here over the holiday, and obviously this episode will be released on Monday, Memorial Day, excuse me, Labor Day, um, so by the time this is live, hopefully I will have at least gotten through uh, an, one of the one of the playthroughs. I know I hear I know there's multiple endings. I hope you I hope you enjoy it, and I hope that you don't look. Uh, it's my biggest fear when I re- when I recommend a game is that someone won't like it, and so therefore they will uh, fear they'll they'll sort of project that not liking of the game onto the person who recommended that game. So I hope we can still be friends if you don't like it. But I'm also very 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 confident in in thinking that you will like it, and that everyone who plays it, um, unless they're they're uh, damaged to some degree, will absolutely love it. Well, folks, if if you don't see any 
episode four come through your your <laughs> iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play feed, you will know that I did not like it and this podcast has collapsed. That would make sense. I don't want to do a podcast with someone who doesn't like Nier Automata. That's that's, that's what I figured. That's what I figured. <laughs> well, I hope you love it. And, oh, and as you had admitted that you are a, a trophy, uh, I don't know if trophy whore was the word you used. I don't think it was at all, but for some reason that's stuck in my head. There is, I think, one missable trophy, so you may want to investigate that uh, one prior to uh, to playing. Other than that, I think they're all attainable. Excellent. Thanks for the heads up. Mm-hmm. I will definitely do go. a little bit of research. It's It walks a fine line between trying to figure out if there's any trophies I need to pay attention to on my way through and not trying to spoil a game so a lot of times if it's if it's a game that i know i'll have to play through a couple of times like this one apparently is uh, as you mentioned the multiple endings um I, i'll usually try to play a first episode or a first playthrough just sort of fresh so i can enjoy the game and enjoy the the storyline yeah the, the the biggest thing to remember though is uh i feel like the the marketing material uh, about multiple playthroughs is almost uh it's it's not truthful in the sense that the game itself, uh, while you do see the credits multiple times, if that's what you want to consider an ending or a playthrough, the truth is after you beat it the first time, or you at least you see the first roll of credits after playthrough one, playthrough B is legitimately an entirely different game. It's it's amazing to me that they would be they would risk keeping so much content away from players who may think that after the first credit roll, after the first ending A, that they're done with it. Because endings B, C, and D, it, there it's legitimately uh, so much more content that just wasn't even. I'm not even. Ta- I'm not talking about repurposing assets. I'm not talking about repurposing uh, backgrounds and, and and environments. Like it is legitimately entirely different setup. So I feel like in in it's sort of a, a, the developer having fun with the player to say that yeah it's over there you go but really it's it's not it's it's, it's very interesting so i'm, I'm excited amazing. to hear what you have to say about it clearly blizzard didn't release this game or you would have to buy purchase different games to get endings a b c and d and experience <laughs> the whole the whole thing and that'll mm-hmm. get into sort of we'll discuss a little bit of that later a little foreshadowing mm-hmm. there as a lot of our topics throughout this episode will deal with expansions and digital uh, you know DLC and and things of that ilk. So what kind of uh, what kind of content have you picked up recently of the non-downloadable kind? Uh, well, most of my content is of the non-downloadable kind. As you <laughs> mentioned, I'm a collector and I'm a former game store owner, so I I tend to disavow most digitally distributed content (laughs) so i have been on a bit of a lull in my pickup game recently and works work has kept me pretty busy but these last two weeks i really made a comeback bid a good friend of mine in denver is getting married next month and his parents told him to finally clean all of his crap out of their garage which you know is fair i think he's in he's in his mid-30s and getting married it's probably time that he got stuff out of his his parents garage But one of the boxes that he unearthed had his childhood Atari 7800 and about 20 games and a few controllers. And he knows that I collect, buy, and sell video games, so he shot me a picture of his find and asked if I wanted them. Now, ironically enough, the 7800 is really one of the few U.S. systems that I don't have and have actually never had. So we worked out a trade. I gave him my old Frisbee golf discs, which apparently have become quite collectible uh, in a straight-up swap. So now he's a a frolfer, and he collects and buys and sells vintage um, 
frisbee golf discs so we both came away pretty happy with that um so i'm eager to get the 7800 hooked up and and give it a try and it's it's sort of given me the collecting bug for the atari 7800 so i think that may be the next complete set that i try to go for (laughs) it's it's a small set there's only worldwide there was only 59 licensed games released so should be a relatively easy one to to knock out they're not real high on the on the value chart no real heavy hitters there are some rare titles but the values on them aren't too crazy so it should be Mm -hmm. reasonably easy to to knock that out as a as a complete boxed set i did get 20 games from my buddy but everything i got from him was loose no no boxes or anything so really none of it's going to count toward the toward the collection and then i also received a shipment of from limited run games now for new listeners caleb and i are both big fans of limited run games Caleb, as a non-collector, even likes to actually open the games and play them, (laughs) which I find to be just a bizarre concept. (laughs) Now, buying games from Limited Run is sort of two stages of fun. You get that initial release day adrenaline of trying to add the day's releases to your shopping cart and check out before they all go out of stock, which has been happening faster and faster as they release higher profile titles lately. They caught a lot of flack for um, Wonder Boy and Night trap just selling out instantly and they get a lot of flack for obviously things will show up on ebay and every time it does um you know you see the twitter fallout from that or you know whatever your social media platform of choice is but then now you typically after you've ordered it you typically have a bit of a wait before the games actually show up some of their titles are go the sales on them go live while they may still be waiting for certain items to be in production waiting for sony to do the discs or the vita carts or waiting for some of the collector's edition goodies or what have you so the second stage is that i really never know when a new limited run games package is going to show up at my door and so far i'm batting a thousand on limited run releases going all the way back to their first title breach and clear so I just sort of order every time they have a sale go live. And now this most recent package that I just got from Limited Run had six games in it. Drive, 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 and Neurovoider for the PlayStation 4, both of which Caleb talked about receiving in our previous episode. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to kind of gloss over those. Um, and then I also received Oceanhorn and Plague Road for both the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation Vita. Those were, were dual platform releases. Now, Plague Road is one I want to touch on just briefly because it's kind of an interesting one. It's a roguelike turn-based strategy game uh, set in a black plague style steampunk setting and you play as a traveling doctor looking for plague survivors so a little morbid but i think it, it it's really colorful and sort of an odd setting for how the game looks uh, at least from the the videos i've seen on it so far i had actually backed plague road on kickstarter back in december uh, of 2016 and they had a mildly successful kickstarter campaign nothing nothing crazy i think they had an initial goal of thirty thousand dollars and they ended up raising fifty five thousand um so nothing you know nothing obviously like some of the the massive kickstarters that you've seen Uh, but again it is a an indie sort of niche title but the fact that it was a, a Vita focus, I, I expected it to, to do better. But after the Kickstarter ended, uh, the developer, Arcade Distillery, partnered with Limited Run Games to handle distribution and do a, a full-blown Limited Run Games release 
But Kickstarter backers who pledged for the physical tier of the game, which was $40 and above, will be receiving a special exclusive cover art variant of the game. Now, so far, I've only received my standard um, limited run covered variants, which is the cover that's it's sort of a, a, a yellow, green, and black cover. But the Kickstarter variant is kind of a, a stylistic, almost stained glass looking uh, red cover. And that one I should be receiving sometime this week as they ran into a slight shipping delay on that one. But I think the the Kickstarter version should be pretty rare. Only f- 642 people backed at the level that uh, was physical, you know, a physical game and above. So this one might actually even be end up being even rarer than Limited Run Games' premier title, Breach and Clear, which only had a print run of 1,500 and and has become a, a massive collector's item. Uh, one of the the real Vita collectors' holy grails, as you, if you will. Another game that I got this week was a Redout Lightspeed Edition. And Redout is a fast-paced anti-gravity racer. It looks really similar to Wipeout. And it was originally released on the PC, so this is a, a port to the consoles. And the console port is branded as the Lightspeed Edition, which is basically a complete edition. It comes with the base game and then two DLC packs from the PC version, Europa and Neptune. And I think that's just extra tracks and skins and stuff. I don't know a whole lot about the the extra content there. But it was just released on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I, of course, picked it up on PlayStation 4, which is my primary console for this generation. I really just get Xbox exclusives on the Xbox One. I have a lot of nostalgia for Wipeout. It was one of my PlayStation 1 launch day pickups. So I'm really hoping it's decent. It'll be interesting to kind of compare and contrast Red Out here with uh, the recently released Wipeout Omega Collection. Next wa- next um, package I got was uh, Resident Evil Revelations for the PS4. It's a remastered release of the 3DS game. And from everything... Now, I'm not a huge, huge handheld gamer. Um, I'd rather play on the big screen, so I am looking forward to, to checking it out. I've heard the Resident Evil Revelations is, is a great take on the series. I haven't uh, played one or two yet, so looking forward to diving into those. But I have heard some pretty underwhelming reports on the remaster of this. Um, I guess it's pretty much just a straight port with very little sort of time spent on the on the graphical work, uh, the graphical reimagining. Um the next game that's definitely not the case for, though, I just got Yakuza Kiwami, the Steelbook Edition, uh, for PlayStation 4. And this is a reimagining of the original Yakuza, Yakuza 1, for the, the PlayStation 2 that came out back in 2005. Now, this isn't an HD remaster. It's not really a, you know, a, a tidying up of the graphics and, and repackaging. Um, this was actually completely rebuilt from the ground up. Um, they have re-recorded all of the audio from the original voice actors, completely redid the engine, completely redid all of the graphics, um, re- did some storyline tweaks, um, and for the first time in the West, we'll actually have the option for the Japanese language track, which, of course, I, I have no use for. I don't speak Japanese at all, but kind of cool. Uh, I know a lot of the, the weeabos will like that. And all of the launch copies for it are the Steelbook Edition, so they come with a nice uh, Generation 2 style, that's Blu-ray size, Steelbook um, with a nice uh, plastic slipcover to keep it in good condition. Really a a really nice looking bundle and uh, a $29.99 price on it, so a pretty fantastic deal. Another pickup was a pre-order that I had for Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, the Collector's Edition. 
Definitely a unique twist on Mario. Turn-based tactical RPG, uh, which is a genre I really like. I like the Disgaea series, Final Fantasy Tactics, and, and that stuff. And it's developed by Ubisoft. So, you know, kind of unique to have a game developed, a Mario game developed by someone completely outside of the Nintendo ecosystem. Off the top of my head, I'm just thinking out loud here, but I think the last time that that was the case, that it's sort of uh, a completely independent studio did a Mario game, was it... Was it Hotel Mario on the CDI? Um, I would say, uh, except for probably uh, Super Mario RPG, which I think was a Square Enix thing. Oh, um, yep, you're right. If I remember right. correctly. Yep. So other than that, though, yeah, I think that's probably it. And, you know, that Mario Plus Rabbids, I I was originally not too interested in it, but the reviews have been pretty positive. I mean, so I, I, if, if, I did, if I wasn't on a hiatus, I might seriously consider that one actually yeah i'll I'll let you know what i think i'm definitely gonna bust it open and and check it out and then the the last thing on my list of of presents that showed up and this one just showed up today i got a really really good deal on an auction lot on ebay that was a, a a guy selling off a bunch of consoles and it was a Super Nintendo Junior, Super Nintendo 2, the, the mini redesign. A JVC XI, which is the combination Sega Genesis, uh, Sega CD unit made by JVC. A Glacier GBA, and a GBA was actually one of the Game Boy versions that I don't have. So that'll sort of go up on my portable game wall display. And then a boxed PC Engine Duo. I've got a Turbo Duo, but I didn't have the Japanese PC Engine Duo. And I hadn't really been looking for it because those things are relatively expensive, especially in box. And it ended up going for way less than the PC Engine Duo goes for in box on its own. So I'll sell, you know, I'll sell the Super Nintendo Mini off and the JVC XI off um, and end up pretty close to getting the, the Duo for free, which is kind of cool. That's a, that's a true collector move right there. That's really what I do with most of my, my game collection. I tried not to spend too much of, you know, my own money so to speak, my quote-unquote own money on my collection and and do a lot of trades. I do a lot of buying of, of big console lots, so I'm not trying to, you know, not trying to, you know, drive the price up and scalp people that are, you know, not other resellers that are, you know, also in on these big lots and trade off or sw- sell off the, the stuff that's duplicates and and funnel that cash back into the collection. That way I try to keep the, the finances in check. Everybody wins. That's the goal. Uh, what about mm-hmm. you? What uh, what have you picked up? I know you're you're holding back from um, you know, diving too heavily into the, the game world, but there's got to mm-hmm. be something. There is something. So the, the first thing that I recently picked up was a bunch of grief from the listeners who are right now commenting on the fact that I said Square Enix was uh, the developer behind Super Mario RPG, when at the time they were, yes, still called Squaresoft. Mm. So please stop. I know, uh, but people know that company now as Square Enix. So anyway, <clears throat> with that off my shoulders. Whew, uh, that's yeah, a weight. No, it's a burden. <laughs> not anymore, it's not. It's right off the shoulders. 
Uh, so I, yeah, I, no games or anything like that other than the demos I mentioned earlier, um, but those are digital, so not real. Uh, I recently purchased a Cartridge Club shirt, uh, which I encourage everyone to do. There's a new uh, Cartridge Club uh, shirts store <laughs> online, uh, which I believe you could probably find going to cartridgeclub.org and, and poking around. I'm sure it's there. Right now, the cartridgeclub.org uh, site and forums are in the bit of a transition. They're upgrading to a new site. So there's a little bit of hiccups there. That's why I'm just not honestly sure if this link is publicly available yet. But I know as a Cartridge Club member, um, I was aware of the link uh, before it actually went live and I immediately purchased something. So uh, the t-shirt is pretty great, nice quality, very soft. I'm 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 going to enjoy it the first time I wear it. I promise. I believe they actually announced the the address and everything on the newest uh, Cartridge Club Weekly episode. Oh, good. And they did just tweet it out today. This is Thursday night as we record this, and I believe it was P1 if I remember correctly tweeted out the link. And there's actually a big sale on now for for the launch. Don't know how long the sale will go. I think. Oh, actually, I'm looking at the the site now. It goes for two days, so by the time you guys hear this, uh, the sale will be over. Um, so I won't talk any more about the sale. But the address for the website for all of the Cartridge Club shirts, which has searches for a bunch of different content creators, Mighty Q Dog, I think Musty Hobbit is on here, mm-hmm. Flock of Nerds, Flock Talk, STC Pod, just a bunch of the great Polykill. Dollar Dorks, Round 2 Gaming, just, I'm definitely going to miss some people as I scroll through the list here, but a lot of really cool designs, I'm definitely going to order a bunch of these, it's tpublic, T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com slash stores slash cartridge club. So what you're telling me is that if, had I waited a couple days, I could have wasted less money on this cartridge club shirt? Yep, and there's that, that, there's that burden again. God damn it. All right. Just when well, you think you're out from under it, it's back. They they owe me a beer in Chicago. All right, that's my discount. You for know, the I shirt. think we could probably make that happen. <laughs> oh, you have no idea how much I drink. Uh, speaking <laughs> of which, <laughs> speaking of which, I almost pulled the trigger uh, uh, on a on a cartridge or on, on a well, technically a cartridge, a Nest cartridge flask. Uh, I didn't know these things existed. I saw it in a video somewhere, and I was. Uh, probably drinking a couple myself and thought, that sounds like a great idea. Um, But even in my inebriated state at that point, I realized I don't drink out of a regular flask. I'm not a flask person. I'm not a flask drinker. So having an NES cartridge flask is is dumb. To be totally frank, it's just dumb. So I did not pull a trigger on that. So that's Caleb's blue ball story of of the story. of the episode, I suppose. Um, I did not actually buy something, even though we're talking about stuff that we buy. I can only imagine the amazing social interactions that you would have at the bar as you pull out your, your Nintendo cartridge flask. Um, I bet it's true. I bet the, the ladies would flock to you, which would probably upset your wife. So this was probably a good move to refrain. You know, she, she, she'd probably be fine with it because um, if I'm the type of husband who's going to be drinking out of an NES cartridge flask in public, I'm probably the type of husband who she doesn't want to be married to for much longer. <laughs> uh, but this this is actually a in, an interesting concept. Like I, I wear... Uh, uh, NES or video game shirts all the time. In fact, most of my t-shirts are either uh, video game oriented shirts or shirts that are, uh, are music shirts, band shirts, specifically like, like Deftones. I love the Deftones, Dresden Dolls, um, the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Tom Waits. Th- those are, those are my, kind of my groups and I have a ton of shirts about them. So those and video games are my two shirts. So I wear them often 
thinking that, you know, I'm going to meet someone who's like my kindred spirit. I'm, I'm going to be best friends with this person I meet in public and we're going to be best friends and yada, yada. But every time someone walks by and they're like, hey, I like your shirt. My response is, thanks. And that's it. There's, there's no, I, I don't carry on conversations. I don't, uh, I don't realize this romanticized drama of our lives melding and becoming one and being these, these great friends and just taking on the world. Nope. It's a quick thanks. And that's it. So I, I, I'm not a very social person, I suppose, is the moral of that story. So, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. So you're perhaps. so unlike most game publishers with their constant badgering you to buy additional content, you're really just sort of a one and done, wham bam, get out of that relationship and and move on to the next full game. Sort of. You jumped right into this whole. forced segue thing before I could even think about it. We have chemistry, you and me, Scott. Uh, Yeah, let's dig right into it. Standalone DLC, let's talk about it. All right. So we have uh, quite a few games that have been out for a while now that have had relatively major updates, whether it's a, a new patch that's come out or a new full expansion. And we're going to talk a little bit about compare and contrast methodologies and and what we think of them. Now, Caleb, I think on episode one, you had mentioned, or actually maybe this was just on Twitter, you'd mentioned um, how much you enjoyed the game Ukulele, um, Mm -hmm. sort of a a 3D platformer, I believe made by the guys that did Banjo-Kazooie, wasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge ukulele fan. Um, more than a ukulele fan, I'm a, I, I'm an enemy of people who rag on ukulele for no effing reason. Um, the, ukulele got a lot of bad flack, got, or flack, I don't think I have to qualify that with the word bad. That's implied by the word flack. I... I really, really liked ukulele. Um, I liked ukulele and, and like ukulele, both in the past and present, um, because it it scratched the 3D platformer itch that it was supposed to scratch, right? It was a, it was a perfectly contoured scratching post. That's what it was supposed to do. And a lot of people gave it flack for, for not being more than that. Um, I made, a, I made a, a sort of a metaphor or analogy or whatever you want to call it in a video that uh, a lot of that, that when you order food at a restaurant, you often get a food with a bunch of uh, cilantro piled on top of it. And then when people eat their food, they always dust off the cilantro and eat their food. Well, the stuff people who didn't like ukulele were complaining about was essentially that cilantro, the stuff you didn't order anyway. But for some reason, now you're mad it didn't exist. This being things like 2017 gaming conventions. And, um, you know, I'll leave it at that as a broad statement because ukulele itself was designed to be a 90s platformer. That's what that's what it was. That's what it's its thing was. It wasn't meant to be anything else and it wasn't advertised as being anything else. In fact, I'm surprised the game wasn't. A, a polygon, uh, a polygon built game. You know they should have been. And in fact, there is a there is a uh, a a an option to make the game look like a, a Nintendo sixty four era platformer. Um, but that's what that's its purpose. And, and a lot of people didn't like it for that. So, Platonic, the developers of, of Ukulele, who are made up of developers from Rare, who made Banjo Kazooie, as you mentioned earlier, they they heard the feedback, and to their credit, they recently released um, a a pretty substantial uh, patch. I guess could be a, a, a 
a way of saying it, but it's really more than a patch. It sort of addresses all of these various issues that people had, even though, from my perspective, they weren't issues. Um, so before, um, so so I, I, I didn't get it. I, I don't understand why people were, were upset about these things. So they released this patch, uh, and and a lot, and it it's a very comprehensive uh, patch. You can find it online. I'm sure you can find it in the show notes that list all of the things that it does. But it addresses a lot of issues, not just broken coding errors, glitches, that sort of thing. Which of course a patch should fix, and and a game should release without those issues. I totally understand that portion of it. But it releases a lot of cosmetic things, a lot of just conventions, uh, uh, modern day web uh, gaming conventions that that the game didn't have because it wasn't intended to have. So uh, it's, it's kind of sort of a rant on my part and I apologize, but, but I'm very happy that this, that this update gets. Um, but my concern is that the size of this, uh, of this quote unquote patch, does it in some way make the original game? Is it an admission from the developers that the original game was less than legitimate, that it wasn't a final product by saying he, Hey, now we're fixing all of these issues. And maybe I'll toss it over to you to kind of see how you feel about that concept. Well, you mentioned sort of a game being what the developer intended, but maybe not what people thought they were signing up for. And now I don't think ukulele sold extremely well. I remember it going down in price relatively quickly. I think I bought my copy for like $12 or something um, Mm -hmm. after you, this was after you had been commenting how much you enjoyed it and how much how uh, nostalgic it made you feel for, you know, the 3D platformers, uh, N64 era, that sort of thing. I think it's uh, an interesting corollary to a game that also suffered the same sort of fate in terms of expectations um, by pre-release media hype, and that was No Man's Sky. Mm -hmm. Um, No Man's Sky was announced by uh, Hello Games to be you know, a, a universe exploration game. And quite frankly, that's really what it was, um, you know, when it, when it was relaunched. As panned as it was, it basically checked the boxes for the most part. There were definitely um, things that were purported to be in it that weren't in it. Like some planets were quite barren and, and there weren't the the variety of, of fauna and, and animal life that was sort of shown in a lot of the, the preview videos. But I think a lot of people sort of expected it to be much more combat-y and maybe even a bit Destiny-like. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is is not that. It is sort of a relaxing trope through space. And every once in a while, you come across some other alien ships that you shoot down. And for what it was, I think... I did thoroughly enjoy it. I went through when it when it first launched and I played I went through and, and platinumed it again getting back to my my trophy seeking ways. But frankly I I I thoroughly enjoyed the game, but it was universally panned and really the butt of jokes um and since the release i mean they there was massive uh you know refund uh requests on steam mm-hmm. for it and um a lot of people returning pre-orders that they had ta- that picked up and now since the game's release uh, to hello games credit they've tried to address some of those issues whether uh fair or unfair um and again i'm not saying that there weren't problems with the game that were legitimate but you sort of get one chance to make a first impression right so Mm -hmm. i wonder how much it matters that developers go through and for games that didn't 
initially turn out to be what they were, what the audience expected them to be. I wonder if you can ever truly fix that uh, perception in the marketplace. I don't know. I, I When you'd mentioned the patch to ukulele to me, I actually didn't know about it. Um, it because it was a game that sort of entered the entered the retail space and just sort of quietly left had it not been for your you know your mentioning of it on social media well well after the release um i probably it probably wasn't a game that i would have gone and picked up and i can see the same thing for no man's sky perhaps even to a greater degree because i don't think ukulele had the widespread ire of gamers and media um you know across the, the across cyberspace that no man's sky had uh, but mm-hmm. here we are a year later almost exactly a year after release and and hello games is releasing a major update with multiplayer added in uh 30 hours of storyline a revamped quest system terrain editing new new economy structure so i think there's there's just a risk and i don't know how much of this is driven by blind adherence to release dates driven by whether it's shareholder demand or parent company demand or partner demand from you know a a a console partner like Sony for for Hello Games, who I don't believe is, is is tied to a public company in any sort of you know shareholder duty sort of way, at least as far as I know. I can tell you what I feel is exa- is the reason for the, the the perceived failure for both of these games. And I think it's interesting that you brought up this No Man's Sky story, even though it's further down on our list uh, that that you know we're sharing and, and seeing. Um, it makes a lot of sense to actually bring it up when it when it's uh, as in uh, to compare it to ukulele in some ways. The the problem with both of these games is essentially a, a PR problem, um, and that PR problem is it, it, it's the same problem. And I'll get into that a little in a little bit. It's the same problem, but it's a problem for different reasons. So with ukulele, the game promised to be something that people were already familiar with that being a, a throwback 3D platformer. That's what it promised to be. So the gaming world players had something to compare it to. And if Ukulele missed what it was being compared to, then it was considered a failure. Well, the problem there is that nostalgia, which is what it's being compared to, nostalgia is by definition something that erases flaws and highlights benefits we may have even talked about on this podcast before um i'm I'm just nerdily obsessed with this concept of of nostalgia i've made i've made a video about it on my channel but nostalgia from an evolutionary perspective is meant to subdue the negative and highlight the positive as a way to uh keep people motivated essentially keep people looking forward to the future thinking hey it's i've lived through good things therefore it stands to reason there are other good things that i will look to in the future um so that's what that's the problem with ukulele and really with anything that's trying to be a throwback is that it's there there's a certain amount of nostalgia built up and nostalgia again as as I just mentioned is inherently flawed it's not actually real the thing that you're that you're not nostalgic about it's never as good as you remember it so people are comparing ukulele to something that was already flawed but so they're not really comparing apples to apples you know it's this thing that's never going to live up to expectations never going to live up to hype unless it does something brand new so that was probably the problem from the beginning with with ukulele is that they were telling you this is going we're not doing they they were explicitly stating we're not going to do anything new we're going to do something that you remember as being great and so when people play it they it, it's not as good as what they remember with no man's sky the difference in that aspect, which again, I think is a PR issue, is that 
you've, you're creating this game that no one has anything to compare it to. So with, with ukulele, they have a very specific thing in their head that they need to compare it to. With No Man's Sky, they didn't control the narrative from the beginning. They said that this is a game of unlimited possibility. It's unlimited expanse. The biggest game you've ever, you've ever heard. Every single person who hears that statement is going to interpret that statement in a different way. Oh my gosh, it's unlimited possibilities. Well, then I can do anything I want. Oh my God, it's huge. Oh, that means that I'm going to be able to explore like a real explorer and never be bored and it's going to be great. And I don't think Hello Games did a good enough job of, of setting the proper expectations. They kind of set out this nugget. It's going to be the biggest game you've ever experienced. And they failed to control that narrative from that point forward. And it was just too late when they started trying to rein that back in after people's belief in that game got too hyped up and too big. Um, so it was a learning experience. And we have to also understand that Hello Games, this was their first major game. Um, they've obviously developed very small games and everything. And the different people have experience with creating different games, things like that. But as a studio, this was their first game. And it was bigger than I think any of them really thought it was going to be in terms of hype. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... I mean, I, I think it really took a turn for the worse for them when they, as you mentioned, lost control of the narrative when it was up on, I don't remember if it was the Sony press conference or the, the Sony you know, PlayStation experience or where that was first announced, but it was sort of Sony taking the reins on PR as a, as mm -hmm. a PlayStation 4 exclusive and the hype machine was in full effect. It's interesting you mentioned the the nostalgia and, and how it erases lots of flaws. Just a, last weekend, I had some friends in town and I showed them my game room and they were they have they're not gamers but of course they were all they're all my age so they're you know mid 30s and have the the nostalgia for having played the the Super Nintendo and the N64 through high school and and college years and so if, of course the first thing everybody wants to do is play Goldeneye. Um, as I say, well, you may want to just, you may want to step back your expectations a little bit, right? Because the golden eye in your head is not the golden eye that will come out of this cartridge. But of course, everybody's like, no, no, golden eye. We played the, you know, hours and hours and hours of golden eye. And I think it lasted for about seven minutes before people sort of looked at me and they were like, what did you do to golden eye? So then, of course, we, we basically spent the better part of uh, a Saturday afternoon just playing Bust a Move on the N64 over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> it's so hard to confront the fact that, that your memories lie to you. And it's strange because log logically this can be proven over and over and over again by scientific experiments. Your memories do, in fact, lie to you, but people think, but I remember how it was, so therefore it's impossible that it's it's a lie because I was there. I do remember it. But no, your memories do in fact lie to you. It's crazy. Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's a reason that uh, witness testimony has to be cross-examined right. in a court of law because it's it's not fail-safe and it's, it's nowhere near fail-safe and nowhere near right. accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Speaking of real life uh, or a proximity of such... Val Eve Valkyrie gets a VR-less update. So this this is, um, I'll pass it along to you to sort of give the details, but I think this, this fits into the whole theme of this episode in the sense that we're talking about games that maybe are changing their direction after release to some degree, maybe in response to market conditions, maybe not, we don't know, but changing their direction after release to some degree. So tell us a little bit about this. 
So Eve Valkyrie, um, which is available for VR platforms on PC as well as PlayStation VR, recently announced that they're issuing a a patch or an update that allows Eve Valkyrie to be played without VR as well. So you can actually, in multiplayer, you could play, um, you could be playing on your PlayStation 4 without VR and be playing in the same multiplayer game even as somebody who's playing in VR mode, which is kind of interesting. I mean, Sony has come out and said that the PlayStation VR, PlayStation VR headset has been selling um, meeting expectations and really every time the PlayStation for the first four to five months that the the PlayStation VR was out it pretty much sort of sold out in most places within you know a day or two of being stocked I remember I was lucky enough to get one in like I think the second shipment and and I've had a lot of fun with it it's it's definitely uh uh about small experiences it's not something you know i i'm a gamer and i've been a gamer my whole life so i can i have no qualms about sitting down turning on the playstation at seven in the morning and shutting it off at three the next morning having played basically all day long and that probably says more about me and my my introversion and antisocial tendencies <laughs> playstation vr is definitely not that if you're looking for uh, an immersive experience that you're going to play from morning till night the playstation vr or any vr i think at this stage is not that experience i think right now it's still a in the really cool tech demo stage and by nature of being a really cool tech demo you're very limited in scope for the people who are going to pick that up and purchase it and support it i know several podcasts that i've listened to or or youtube videos that i've watched uh, over the you know since the playstation vr's release have echoed sort of the same sentiment and most people have no desire uh it seems most people have no desire to buy one and frankly i can i can certainly understand it it is sort of a an expensive rental experience for lack of a better word it's it's something cool to sort of sit in for a weekend and show off to friends and pass the headset around so that people can experience you know the shark dive or uh clown roller coaster or resident evil um or i and i really like i really enjoy eve valkyrie it's probably one of the games that i enjoy the most on playstation vr i think vr at this stage is sort of um well-tuned to driving games i played a lot of drive club as well on it or cockpit games it's very easy to not have to have a developer um go out of their way to design something that's a VR experience for something where you're you're in a car, you're in a cockpit. It's a it's really a VR experience that you experience pretty much every day. I guess all of this is to say that the reliance on a VR headset, and really this is true for any sort of peripheral, whether it's the Xbox Connect or PlayStation Move, any sort of of device that you have to purchase, your addressable market as a software developer shrinks. Now, as of mid-year 2017 second quarter earnings releases, Sony had sold just over 61 million PlayStation 4 systems, and we mentioned that last week, or last episode. So accounting for people who have multiple systems, people who uh, have used inventory sitting, sitting on their store shelves, that's still a likely addressable market north of, call it, 50 million. So what that means is essentially a game only has to have a 2% attachment rate, that's uh, 2% of 
console owners purchasing a game in order for the game to become a million seller. So the PlayStation VR, on the other hand, has sold just over a million units so far. And that's not bad for, you know, a, basically a $500, $400, $500 peripheral add-on for early adopters of technology. But what it does mean is that the only possible way a publisher can have a million seller title is if every single PlayStation VR owner buys that game. And then even then, there's no remaining upside potential for because your addressable market is completely saturated. So you can't possibly have a 5 million seller, a 10 million seller, etc. Now, I've seen some game media outlets point to this Eve Valkyrie, Eve Valkyrie VR free patch as an indication that VR hasn't been a success uh, and that developers are just waving the white flag on it. And I definitely don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think this is just a case of a third-party publisher trying to increase their addressable market. Now, remember, Eve Valkyrie isn't a Sony title. Um, it's published by CCP Games, and they aren't a massive studio, so they actually need this game uh sales to drive their company revenue. So do you think it was their goal the entire time or their plan the entire time to eventually come out with a VR-less version? Because to me, it seems as though changing course and creating a, a non-VR version is almost an admission of failure, not just for the game itself, but really a, a statement against VR overall. I mean, if, if, if they would not have set out to develop a VR-only game if they thought they were going to later have to then also develop a console version of that game simply to you know make ends meet if, if that's what they're doing here so what do you think on that i'm not sure whether it would have been a plan all along to pivot and open up the game to non-vr platforms but i'm sure they always view that viewed that as an option and perhaps even a potential necessity now vr is emerging tech and the early adopter market for any emerging tech is only so big. I mentioned that the PSVR has sold a million units. Um, as of the end of 2016, the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive had only combined for another million. So really, and I, I'm not even positive that you can play Eve Valkyrie on Vive. I know it's on Oculus. Um, but so that's really a, a cross-platform market maximum addressable market of two million. So eventually uh, you have to widen that scope. But I think limiting Eve Valkyrie VR right out of the gate was a smart move for CCP. Um, really for CCP, Oculus, and Sony in general due to the fact that it's a genre tailor-made for the VR experience and can act as a true showpiece for the tech. Now, Eve isn't an unknown franchise. It's been popular on the PC for you know, over 15 years, I think, um, with, uh, I don't remember when the, the, the MMO, the space MMO Eve Online was released. I think it was early 2000s. So you're really looking at a 15-year running franchise. But given that, I mean, as someone who purchased Eve Valkyrie for the PlayStation VR, I can say without a doubt that the game wouldn't have been my on my radar had it not been a VR title and, and one of the few VR titles available. What about what about creating a product for a system whose critical mass is many, 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 many years past its prime? I'm talking about the IM 8-bit re-release of the SNES Street Fighter 2, or SNES as I call it. I say SNES only because I watch a lot of British YouTubers. The SNES Street Fighter 2 cartridge. Um... This was released by Capcom. It has a hefty price tag. Uh, before I go any further and allow you to sort of elaborate on what it is, I want you to answer one question for me. Are you buying this? 
I went back and forth, but I ultimately decided <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, so there is a limit. There okay. is a limit to my stupidity. Yes. Well, tell me then before we – so give us a little bit about what this is, and then I'm really interested to know why you decided not to do it. So I am 8-Bit, for anybody who hasn't heard of them, is they've been around for a couple of years now, and they've made – they, they do sort of limited releases on a lot of gaming-related paraphernalia. Uh, they do soundtracks. They do vinyls. And they've released, uh, you know, some collector's edition, actually hearkening back to um, No Man's Sky. They released sort of the No Man's Sky collector's edition, which didn't come with the game, but it was the, the model of the ship. Um, and that was sort of a, a mess in and of itself because that got delayed for, I think, I think people just got their ships within the last, like, four months or so so um obviously huge delays and problems there no that was thematically relevant they they delayed the release of the ship you know to be thematically relevant to the delay of the actual game <laughs> and, and to the <laughs> delay of, of when the game was actually playable to the extent exactly. of people yeah. you know, people's expectations <laughs> so i mean they've done they've done a lot of things like uh, no man's sky they've done things for last guardian they've done uh journey which was just the the cartridge club game of the month they did the physical release of hyperlight drifter actually which yeah. is one of my favorite games of i think last year is when it came out so or the year before they've done a couple of physical games now they've done hyperlight drifter and they've done uh res infinite the, mm-hmm. the physical version for playstation 4 and this is really their first retro game I've purchased Hyperlight Drifter from them. I purchased Res Infinite from them. I'm not a huge like soundtrack collector or vinyl collector or anything like that. So I, those are really the only things that I've bought from I Am Apeit in the past. But that of course put me on their um, on their mailing list. So got an email from them saying, "Hey, we're announcing we're releasing a limited Super Nintendo cartridge." So instantly, of course, I clicked on the email and went over to the website and was greeted by a page that says. We're re-releasing Street Fighter 2 for the Super Nintendo. And I sort of sat there and I stared at the webpage for a minute. Now, if this is vanilla Street Fighter, the the original. It's not even Street Fighter 2 Turbo, the, the upgraded version, or Super Street Fighter 2, which was also a Super Nintendo release. It's the vanilla Street Fighter, which may be one of the most common Super <laughs> Nintendo games this side of Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. it's it's a game that back when i ran my game store we could not give away like we would price it at a dollar 99 and it would we they would pile up in trade-ins right i think complete in box copies of this game in in the midst of the super nintendo price explosion and the retro game price explosion a boxed copy of the original super nintendo street fighter 2 is something that you can pick up for anywhere between 25 to 40 bucks any single day of the week on ebay so i thought that there had to be something that i was missing all this is is it's a it's a re-release of that game um on a red or green cart they're making 5500 of these uh 4500 of them are coming in the red cartridge and uh a thousand of them are super special editions that come in a glow-in-the-dark green quote-unquote Blanca cartridge um, and it's just a completely random which one you get and it comes in a, a tri-fold box um, with um, I think some sort of uh, instru- premium inst- instruction booklet I'm not sure how 
uh, an instruction booklet becomes premium, maybe it's made out <laughs> of gold paper or something. And it would have to be made out of gold paper because the price on this is a hundred dollars. It it boggles my mind that <laughs> a that you would remake a game that's the most common game on the system. B that you would charge two and a half times the high end of a complete in box original version for it. And not only if that wasn't enough for you, then I did go and and check it out and I, I added it to a cart because I'm a I'm a sadist like that. Or a masochist, I guess that would be. I get that stuff <laughs> confused. Um, Just I, like a masochist. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Sounds good. <laughs> good. <laughs> so I so I added it to my cart, and the cheapest shipping option. Now I'm I'm in the U.S. I'm not in like remote anywhere U.S. I'm just outside of New York City. The cheapest of the two shipping options was twenty four dollars. So the only thing I can I can figure is that thing is made out of solid gold and they have to <laughs> mail it, you know, um, with some sort of, of super, uh, super protection. Now, one thing that I didn't notice when I was originally looking at the page, but quickly became sort of widespread and, and joked about all day on Twitter was a disclaimer that's on the product page that says warning, Use of this reproduction game cartridge, the product, in quotes, on the SNES gaming hardware may cause the SNES console to overheat or catch fire. The SNES hardware is deemed a vintage collectible, so please exercise extreme caution when using the product and make sure there is a fire extinguishment equipment nearby. Use of the product is at the sole risk of the user. Product it really is says to keep a fire is. extinguisher nearby. Yes. I, I just read that off the website <laughs> oh verbatim. Not, not only are you paying two and a half, well, really three X after you pay to ship this thing to you, which this is 2017. You should be able to ship something to the damn moon and back for $25, especially <laughs> something the size of a Super Nintendo cartridge. But not only that, this thing is so shoddily made that it's going to make my Super Nintendo blow up. I'm just flabbergasted by this. Mm -hmm. And yet I have no doubt in my mind that by the time this podcast is live, Monday morning, this thing will be sold out. (laughs) So I could probably, I could divine, I think, a few reasons why you you decided as a collector to not buy this. Uh, Not only is it expensive... Not only is it a vanilla Street Fighter 2, which, as you mentioned, you can get complete in-box original Street Fighter 2s for, you know, $20, $30, $40 right now off of eBay, etc. SNES on fire. Uh, are those your gatekeepers? When you, when you examine a, a collectible that you want to buy or a video game you want to buy, are those the boxes you check? Well, is it is it too expensive? Uh, can I get it cheaper somewhere else? And is it going to set my house on fire? Are those the three, the three things? Those are really high on the list. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I if it was if it was just a hundred dollars without free sh- or with free shipping, I might be able to live with the house on fire thing. <laughs> but the twenty four ninety nine shipping price really sort of sets me over the edge. You know, I'm a I'm a child of of Amazon Prime. I, I can't right. be paying twenty five dollars to ship a <laughs> Super Nintendo cartridge. What if it was one hundred and twenty five dollars in free shipping? Like, oh, what see, if they had phrased see, it that way. Would see that now there, there they might get you. 
I think one of the, the so the reason to go to go back a little bit, you mentioned, you know, I mentioned that I was thinking about buying it initially. And the reason that I was thinking about it is, is I'm sort of a completionist when it comes to collecting. Uh, for anybody mm-hmm. who hasn't listened to the podcast, I'm a, I'm a complete inbox collector and I, I strive to get uh, complete sets of, of most of the North American consoles. And I've got uh, nine complete sets so far. And one of them that I've sort of put on hold lately because of the price, because of the way prices have gone um, on the console is the Super Nintendo. But at some stage, I think I'll probably go back and try to complete a Super Nintendo collection. And so in my mind, looking at this release, I started to, to wonder, now, this is actually being released by Capcom. It's in it's in partnership with Capcom and and I am eight bit. Um, it's fully licensed. It's um, you know it's got the Capcom logo right on it. It's got Capcom. Capcom's even in the disclaimer, so you can't sue I am eight bit, nor can you sue Capcom uh, if your if your house starts on fire because of the the use of this uh, super Hadouken machine. <laughs> oh, I get it now. That's why they did that. Okay. It's the super I want one Hadouken edition. So I started to wonder, well, is this, it, should this be an official release? And I ultimately ended up on say, I ultimately ended up thinking no, even though that it's by, you know, it's a, it's a re-release of a game that was an official release. It's done by the original, uh, the original publisher. Um, the fact that it didn't come out sort of in the lifespan to mm-hmm. me sets it apart and um, was ultimately the deciding factor in me saying, nah, screw this. I'm not, I, I have better uses for $124. That's exactly the the mentality that I had. Again, me not being a collector, I was really interested to know what you would consider official part of a collecting, a, a title, a library's title. And I think you know, the moment the factory line stopped producing the console, anything released after that, or at least anything contracted to be released after that, like if there was a game in mid-production that's released after that, of course, but once that once that factory line stops producing consoles, that's kind of the end of any of what could be considered a legitimate lo- title in the library. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of examples where maybe there are officially released games that don't necessarily meet that criteria, but I think that's a good governing factor i would say yeah i would say i'm not huge into the the homebrew scene um mm-hmm. i know there's a lot of a lot of folks that are releasing homebrews for the atari the intellivision the ColecoVision, the atari jaguar's got a really big homebrew scene on it the you know the super nintendo all of the you know anything that's got a flash cart is really easy to get to get homebrews for and and i will say that i have as a I, i'm a big jaguar fan um so i have picked up quite a few homebrews and and uh like prototype re-releases that have been you know completed after uh, after somebody has found the the original code so that's really the the one caveat um is i do have quite a few jaguar games that are outside of sort of the jaguar library but i don't count those as you know official jaguar releases or part of a jaguar complete set mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you it has to be sort of uh co you know co-terminus with the with the system's original lifespan to count i don't know what co-terminus means but it sounds sexy as hell <laughs> <laughs> speaking Giggy. of sexy as hell uh us us you know, uh, we're sort of rounding out this this third episode of the podcast and 
we want to thank everyone who's who's tuned in so far. It's a brand new podcast, obviously, and and we're really really happy that everyone here is listening. Um, give us feedback. Visit us. Find us on uh, mastersofunlocking.com. Find us at Twitter at mou podcast. Um, find us individually. Um, myself at Caleb J Ross and. Scott at VG Collectaholic on Twitter at Facebook. Uh, that's Facebook slash Masters of Unlocking forward slash Masters of Unlocking. Don't use a backslash. You're going to go to the wrong place. You can subscribe to us on Google Play, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, via RSS feed. You can find all of those listings there at the uh, at the website, mastersofunlocking.com. And I just realized, Scott, that this is in blue, which means it's yours. Uh, so, But you I did am... such a fantastic job. <laughs> I was seeing if I could trick the listeners. Did you guys think that I was Scott that whole time? Please tell us in whatever comment section you happen to be listening to this <laughs> on. <laughs> yes, we. I can't stress enough. We're we're thankful for all of the support that we've uh, we've received so far over episodes one and two. Um, all of the positive feedback. If you liked us, definitely subscribe at your avenue of choice and uh, hit us up with a review. That would mean a ton. We'd love to hear feedback in any format, whether it's uh, a review on iTunes or Google Play Store, or Stitcher. Uh, or just, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter, as Caleb mentioned. Always ready to chat games, and uh, I'm always looking to chat collecting, and Caleb's always looking to... <laughs> I can chat other stuff. Uh, uh, corpses. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, storage units. Uh, let's see, there's got to be a third thing. Uh, 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 diapers. Ooh, that that's mm-hmm. an eclectic set of uh, interests you've got. I'm very refined. You, sir, are indeed one of the more eloquent and refined corpse snatchers I know. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) we will wish all of our listeners here in the U.S. a safe and happy Labor Day. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and we will see you again in two weeks on Monday, September 18th for Episode 4 of the Masters of Unlocking Podcast. Peace out! (laughs) 